0: Glad you're here today. I'm going to be in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14. I told the first service I've been uh, pondering the parables of Jesus, or uh, probably a better application to you is I've been piddling in the parables, all right? And uh, Jesus had some great life stories. That's what a parable is. Uh, It's an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning, and he told many parables so that people could understand what the kingdom of God is like. I want to share one of those parables with you today in Luke chapter 14. I'll begin reading in verse 15 here in a little bit and read through verse 24. But for you to better understand why Jesus told this parable, I need to back up a little bit and uh, start in verse 1 and kind of describe the situation in Luke chapter 14. 14. Jesus had been invited to a supper at the house of one of the leading Pharisees. This was a guy high-ranking in the religion of the day. Uh, He was a a Pharisee, and he had uh, a lot of people in his house. He invited many guests. Jesus was one of them. And it tells us in verse 1 that every eye in the room was on Jesus. The Pharisees were watching Jesus, not necessarily because they were just awe stricken and amazed by this man. They were watching him so that they could find a cause of accusation to bring against Jesus. They didn't like Jesus because he kind of pushed their spiritual buttons, okay? And so they were always constantly watching him trying to get him in a mistake or in a compromise so that they could bring uh, allegations against him. So Jesus knew they were watching him. He also knew that there was a man in the room who had a disease, the, the dropsy de- disease. So Jesus asked everyone in the room a question. Is it legal to heal somebody on the Sabbath day? Okay, That was a big issue in, in the Jewish church at that time. Uh, they had all these man-made Handwritten laws that they had devised of things you could not do on the Sabbath day and they took it to an extreme. For example, there was a law on the Jewish books that said a man or a woman could not carry a needle and thread with them on the Sabbath day. Because they might see a garment that needed mending and pull out the needle and thread and mend it on the Sabbath day, that would be considered work or labor. It was a sin to do any work on the Sabbath, so you couldn't carry the needle with you. Isn't that crazy? All right. That is absolutely insane. But that's the kind of laws they had. So Jesus asked them, is it legal for me to heal somebody on the Sabbath? They didn't say a word. And so Jesus healed the man, all right? And immediately he knew what they were thinking, and so he posed a question to them. He said, okay, how many of you who would have a donkey or an ox that fell into a pit on the Sabbath wouldn't immediately rescue that animal and pull that animal out? Well, they knew they would do that. So Jesus had them. He he confronted their piousness. They didn't like it very much. Jesus took a little step back and he kind of looked across the room and saw the people that were there and he knew their heart. And so he used that as an opportunity to to tell them a story or to talk to them. In verse number 7 and 8, he said, Hey, listen, when you go to a a wedding feast, don't come into the, the banquet hall and go right to the best seat. Don't come down to the very front where the best seats are. Oh, how things change throughout history, yeah? You think the best seat's in the back, right? Right. But but no, the best seat was in the front. He said, don't come down and sit in the best seat because the host may come to you and say, hey, there's somebody who's a little higher up the social status than you are and I've reserved this best seat for them. You need to go sit in the back. Now, how humiliating would that be? He said, no, instead, when you go to a wedding feast, you take a seat in the back Then the host may come to you and say, What are you doing way back here? Come up to the front. Take one of these good seats. And you will be exalted in everyone's eyes. Really what he said, the point was in verse 11, For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. It's the way it is in the kingdom. So he kind of got in their spiritual grill just a little bit. And then he took another step back. And he directed this to the man who had invited people to the supper. He said, you tell me, why are you inviting only friends and relatives and well-to-do people to your banquet? The only reason you're doing this is because you want them to reciprocate and invite you to their parties. Instead, why don't you invite the lame, the cripple, the blind, the poor... Why don't you invite those people to your party? If you do that, God will honor you and bless you. So you see what Jesus has done. All of a sudden, Jesus has just—he's leveled everybody in the room. He's confronted them with spiritual truth. He knew the pride that was in their heart, and so he spoke directly to that pride. And it was awkwardly quiet. Because he had virtually reprimanded every single person in the room. Don't you hate that, that awkward moment? You know, when it's just real quiet? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there was this guy in verse 15 who couldn't stand the silence, <laughs> and he spoke up, and this is what he said in verse 15 Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Oh, man. He stuck his foot in his mouth then. In essence, what he was saying was this. Blessed are the likes of us, those of us in this room, because we're the ones who are going to eat in the kingdom of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Somebody pass the potatoes. But Jesus saw right through it. And Jesus could not pass up this opportunity to peel away another layer of a pious heart. Because that's all that was in the room, pious hearts, proud hearts. And so Jesus spoke this parable beginning in verse 16. He said, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask that you have me excused. Still another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the maimed, and the lame, and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you have commanded, and yet there is still room. Then the master said to the servant, Well, go out to the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you, that none of those men who were invited shall taste of my supper." And may the Lord add His blessings to the reading of His word. Well, the message Jesus drives home with this story is that the kingdom of God is not something that is far off as, a, as an event that is in the long time coming. No, it, And it's not, let me tell you, it's not just for a few of, of God's religious favorites. No, through Christ, the kingdom of God is right now. It's open for business. And the feast is ready And God is calling all people to come to his feast. God is saying, come to my party and bring somebody with you, all right? Now in verses 16 and 17, we have three people or at least three groups of people who were at the point of Jesus's life story. First of all, there was a certain man who was the host. And secondly, there were guests who were invited to the banquet. And thirdly, there was a servant who was kind of the connection between the host and all of the guests. So let's look at these three groups. First of all, there is a gracious host. Verse 16, then Jesus said to this man with the big mouth, all right, a certain man gave a great supper or a great feast, and he invited many. Now, when it comes to banquets like this in ancient times, it was customary for two invitations to be sent out. The servant of the master of the host would come and bring the first invitation and tell you the date of the big banquet and invite you to the party or to the feast. It was at that time you would either accept or decline. And if you accepted the invitation, then on the day of the event, the servant would come back and say, Everything is ready, come on. All right? So, for a modern analogy, here's here's a master, here's a guy, he's gonna have a big party, let's say on July 4th, all right? And he sends his servant, to you or just sends a text to you or emails you or calls you and says, hey, the master's got a big party coming up. He invites you. It's going to be July 4th. Can you come? You say, yay or nay? Yes or no? And if you said yes, then the second invitation is going to come on the day of the party, July 4th, the servant's either going to call you or text you or come back over and say, hey, it's ready, it's time to come. And at that time, you would drop everything you're doing and go to the party. So he sent his servant in verse 17 at supper time, the day of the party, to say to those who are invited, come, everything's ready, All right? Right now's the party, come on. The gracious host has opened his home, It is an awesome occasion. He spared no expense. He's purchased the finest foods. They've been prepared by a great chef. Everything is ready. All those who have been invited are now welcome to come. Everything's ready for the celebration. And all of Jesus' listeners, every person that was in that room that night... They knew who this great host that Jesus was talking about really was. They knew that Jesus was referencing God. He is the great host. God wants a relationship with all of us. And He has invited us into that relationship. And He has made it possible for everything to be taken care of so that we can come to His great feast You know, we we can't sit here today without being reminded of how much it has cost God to put on this great banquet and to have this great feast. It has cost God His own Son, Jesus, who came to earth and suffered and died on an old rugged cross for our sin. And He did it so that the banquet could be made ready and that we could be called to enjoy the feast for all eternity. It is our gracious God who wants His kingdom, His heaven, to be filled with people enjoying His blessings forever. So the main character in this story is the gracious host. It's our God. But then we see another group of people who are quite the characters in our story. The invited guests. And really, there are two sets of invited guests. There are those who refuse to attend. Everything has been made ready. The expectation is that those who have initially accepted the invitation would drop whatever they are doing and come to the party. So in our analogy, it's July 4th. My servant, Miss Angie, picks up the phone and calls you. Did you that? or sends you a text, or says, hey, the master, Will, (laughs) has the feast ready, everything, the barbecue's on, you know, you accepted the invitation, drop what you're doing, come on. And no matter what it is you were doing, giving the dog a bath, washing the car, cleaning out your garage, whatever it was, you stopped, and you ran to the party. Right? Right? That's what was expected, but that's not what happened in our story. Look at verse 18. But they all, with one accord, begin to make excuses. Something unthinkable happens. When the servant goes to call the guests to the banquet, they all started coming up with these excuses. In fact, every single one of them had an excuse why they could not come to the banquet. Now, remember, they had already told the host that they would attend. But now they give reasons why they can't come. And they are some pretty sorry excuses. For example, in verse 18b, the first man said, I bought a piece of ground and I've got to go see it. So please excuse me. You don't understand how ridiculous this is. No Middle Eastern person would ever buy a field or a piece of land without first going over every square inch of it to make sure that they were getting their money's worth. This was a flimsy excuse. Verse 19, another one said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I've got to go test them. So I would have you excuse me. Again, an absolutely ridiculous excuse. The Middle Eastern custom was that if you bought a pair of oxen, you would go somewhere and watch those oxen work. You would make sure they were going to do Modern analogy, how many of you would buy a car sight unseen? Don't answer that. I've done it. <laughs> Sometimes it's not as smart to do no matter how good of a deal it is is. You, know, you want to go test drive it. You want to look at it. You want to kick the tire. Well, it's the same way back in this day. Nobody bought a pair of oxen without checking them out and making sure what they had. What a flimsy excuse that was given. Now the third excuse maybe seems a little more understandable, at least to those of us in the 21st century. Verse 20, still another said, I've married a wife. Therefore, I can't come. Now, the impression is that this guy just got married, all right? Here it is, July 4th. He just got married on July 3rd. And he's having his honeymoon. And we think, well, that's okay. I mean, let's excuse this guy. He just got married. He's he's on his honeymoon. But, but that was not the case at all. This man was already married when he accepted the first invitation. He's been married a while. I mean dude, the honeymoon's over. And if I were writing a commentary on this, I would, I would think, or at least suppose, that what the real deal was is that his new wife gave him a list of honey dudes. That's the real reason he didn't go to the party. He didn't want to pay the piper, you know? He was afraid of what was going to happen if he left, you know, and didn't do all his chores. It's not going over too good, is it? Another flimsy excuse. The point is that when it comes to the eternal destiny of your soul, there is no excuse that is good enough. Okay? No excuse will do. Don't let anything keep you from coming to God for salvation. The salvation of your soul. You you see, the gospel invites each of us to come to God through Jesus Christ. But it requires an answer on our part. God has extended the invitation to all of you. God wants all of you to be saved. God wants all of you to come to His great banquet. God wants all of you to spend eternity in heaven. That is His invitation. You must accept the invitation. Sometimes people grow up thinking well you know i was I was born in a christian family i'm a I'm a pretty good person, therefore i'm pretty confident that i'm going to go to heaven that's bad thinking that's wrong. God has given you an invitation, but you must accept that invitation. no one gets into heaven automatically. You must say yes to god's salvation so these were the people who carelessly refused God's invitation. But amazingly, there were some others who, who got to take their place. All right? Those were the ones who, who were genuinely unworthy to attend. Verse 21. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry. You see, everyone who heard this story knew that to refuse the second invitation from the host was an outright insult. So the host is angry. Everyone who said yes to the first invitation is now saying no to the second invitation. So he's pretty angry. So he says to his servant, verse 21b, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city. And bring in here the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. The poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. They were the outcasts. They were the ones who typically would sit behind the banquet hall in the alley waiting for them to clear off the tables and throw the rest of the food away hoping that they would get a little bit of the trash food. That's who Jesus is talking about. These were the people who would never think themselves worthy enough to actually have a seat in the banquet hall. Now, the listeners of Jesus would have thought immediately, these Pharisees would have correlated this with tax collectors and sinners. These were the ones that they despised and hated. The Pharisees hated tax collectors and sinners. Because the Pharisees were religiously proud and elite. The point Jesus is making is this. Salvation is not for those who presume that they are worthy because of their own good works. Now I'm going to get into this in a moment, but the the Pharisees who were there, they thought, according to the guy in verse 15, they thought if anybody was going to be at this banquet that God is giving, they would be. I mean, they deserve it. They were the religious elite. I mean, they were sons of Abraham. No, that's not the ones who get saved. Salvation is for those who consider themselves unworthy to even be in God's presence. Because all of us are sinners. All of us are unworthy. Whether we know it or not. What the host is doing here is giving us a glimpse of unbelievable grace. People who did not deserve to be in the banquet or at the feast were the ones who were invited. That's grace. How do we understand this? What's a modern day analogy? Well, uh, maybe it'd be something like this. Here's Here's a dad who's going to give a wedding reception for his daughter. Okay? His daughter's getting married. He's going to have this great party. And so, you know, he spares no expense. Uh, he, he purchases the best of foods. He, he, he just rolls out the red carpet. Uh, you know, he spends thousands and thousands of dollars to throw this great party for his daughter, and he invites hundreds of people, family members and friends, and they all say, yes, we'll be there. But then when the time for the reception comes, they're all no-shows. They all say, nope, can't come. They give sorry excuses. That's kind of how unimaginable this story is that Jesus is taking. But then let's take it to the next step. Here's how unimaginable it is. This father, who's already spent all this money for his daughter's reception, and everybody says no, he goes out into the city And he finds homeless people living under the bridge, crippled people who are in shelters. And he says to them, you guys come and fill up the banquet hall. That's the point Jesus is making. Isn't that unimaginable? That's what Jesus is saying. I'm going, to, I'm going to come back to this. Well, here's, I'm going to throw it out to you and reel it back in. And then I'm going to throw it out again because I want you to get this. Here's who Jesus is talking to. The people in that room, the Pharisees, they had already received the first invitation from the host. God had already given them the first invitation. It came through the prophets in the Old Testament. He said, I'm going to send my Messiah who will save you. And all, of the, all the people... The Jews, send the Messiah? We want to be part of the kingdom? They accepted the first invitation. But then when the second invitation came, who was Jesus himself, they rejected. They said, no, we don't want to have any part of this. You know what God did? God said, okay, you Jews, you chosen people, you have rejected my invitation. So I'm going to open up the invitation to the Gentiles to everyone else, to the poor, to the crippled, to the lame, to the blind. That's us. Wow, that is, that is some kind of grace. And, and the servant came back to the master in verse 22 and said, Master, it's done as you commanded, and still there is room. When all the outcasts were invited in, there was still room So the servant was sent further out to the roads and the county lanes to invite people who were really far away. Verse 23. Then the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel them or make them come in so that my house may be filled. There again you see the heart of the gracious host. He wants his house full. Even people who were really far away he invited. You know who that stands for? Us, people who are really far away from God, He invites us to come. Now why did Jesus say here in the story, compel them to come in? He told the servant, go compel them, or some translations say, make them come in. Well, I think the answer is obvious. To overcome their feelings of unworthiness. These people didn't feel worthy to be. They knew they weren't worthy to be invited. They knew they didn't deserve to come in. And maybe, just maybe, you don't think you're good enough to be in God's eternal family. Maybe you're here today and you don't feel worthy. But today I want to compel you to come. Come. The bottom line is you're not worthy. And neither am I. But Jesus Christ is worthy. God's heart is that none perish, but that all have everlasting life and come to repentance. God's heart is for heaven to be full. So the invitation is open. Here's the point. Okay, listen to me. Don't lose me here. Almost done. You don't deserve to be invited to God's feast. None of us do. None of us deserve salvation. But that's what grace is. And God extends that grace to you and to me. Now, there's one more person I want us to look at. Don't overlook the role of the servant in this story. He was really the connection between the host who extended the invitation and the people who needed to accept the invitation. But I want you to notice two things About this servant. Number one, he felt he had a duty. Just a couple of verses here. Like verse 17. uh, The host sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come. And then he says, servant, go and tell them to come. Verse 21, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Verse 26, Then the master told his servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and make them come in. Now don't lose this. You and I as Christ followers are the connection between a gracious God and the people that He came to save. We are the connecting point. If, listen, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a duty. None of us are exempt. Our duty is to go out and invite people to come to Jesus. That's why we're still here, you know? Yeah, kind of common sense would say as soon as God saved us, He'd zap us out of this miserable world that we live in. No, we've been left here for a purpose. And our purpose is to be ambassadors for Christ to be his voice his hands his feet and your duty as a Christ follower is to invite people to Jesus Christ go out into the streets go out into the highways and hedges and make people come in compel people to come in that's our job I told the first service you know it'd be interesting for me to go back over the almost 16 years I've been here and pull out all the sermons uh, that I've preached to you when I've said something like this to you. It's often. I talk about this all the time because it's our job. It's our duty. Okay, And if you're a Christian, listen to me, you're not exempt from this. This is your job that God has given you to go out and invite people, bring them to Christ, go out and invite people, bring them to church. I say this all the time, don't I? Yes, I do. In fact, I was recently in a conversation with the best looking staff person that we have. Jason? No. No, no. Get that out of my mind. Get that out of my mind. Miss Angie. We, We talked about this. You know, I say this all the time. Her response back is, you, you tell people this is what they need to do, but, th- but then, you know, we, we don't have any ways for them to do it. You know? I'm telling you, you need to go be a witness. You need to. And she's saying, but, you know, you're, you're telling them that, but then you're not showing them how to do it. And I admit that I don't. I, very often. I've got to thinking about that. Kind of a perplexing problem that I'm in. You know, I could tell you how to be a witness for Christ. I could tell you the things to say. The Romans road, we've talked about that before. Different ways you invite people to Christ, the plan of salvation. And you know what? Most of you know that. You know, and I'm, I'm not trying to shuck my responsibilities, but I don't really think that's the problem. I think the problem is, for whatever reason... We're just not doing it. Embarrassed? Afraid? We feel the pressure of this world to keep our mouths shut? We're looking at opportunities and ways that we can help you do it, but I think the biggest thing is this. You just open your mouth. You're dealing with people. Every person is different. And I could give you a stock thing to say to them, but you know what? It may not work for that particular situation in that person because all people are different. And what God wants you to do is just open your mouth and start a conversation. And if we really believe He is who He says He is and He's called us to be His witnesses, if we will just open our mouth, I feel confident He's going to give us something to say. It's our duty. So you know what, guys? It's time to get out of the pews and onto the battlefield. It's time to get out of the stands and on the playing field. It's our duty to invite people to Jesus. Also, I see this servant, his urgency. The master said, go out quickly, verse 21. Verse 23, go out to the roads and make them come in. Now, make them come in does not mean to force them. It means to plead with them. It was like the servant would say, No, dude, really, I'm serious. You are invited. God does want to have a relationship with you. Please come. You can't miss this. This is the greatest thing that will happen in your life. This is the urgency that is the product of the love of Jesus Christ in your own heart. 2 Corinthians 5.14 For the love of Christ compels us. It's our love for Him that motivates us and urges us to do our duty and to be a witness for Him. The heart of the Master is for His house to be full. The heart of God is for heaven to be full. Isn't that great? So the invitation has been extended. God wants everybody to come to the feast. God wants all men to be saved. That includes women and children, all people. And he invites them. What what a great lesson. huh? What a great message. God wants you to feast in his kingdom forever. Isn't that great? That's awesome. I'd love to end on that high note. (laughs) But I can't because there's one more verse. Look at verse 24. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste of my supper. Again, understand who Jesus is talking to, the Pharisees. And I mean, he's already confronted them three times. Now here's the fourth confrontation. You talk about that room getting quiet. When he said this, it was really quiet. Basically what he's saying is this, you guys... Think you're going to be a part of the big feast in heaven? You're not, you're not even going to get a scrap of the food. I'm throwing that out again, here's the reason why. They had accepted the first invitation. The prophets had came and they prophesied, God is going to send a Messiah, He will be the Savior. The Jewish nation said, yes, we will accept the Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah. They said yes to God through the first invitation. We will come to your kingdom feast. But then the second invitation came. God sent His own Son, Jesus. He said, you are invited to the feast, but here's the way you accept the invitation. You repent of your sins and you believe in Me. And they rejected that second invitation. They said no to Jesus. So Jesus is saying, if you say no to me, guess what? You don't get into the kingdom feast. God shut the door to you. That's why he opened up the door to the Gentiles, to the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, all of us who are far away from God. Now God is saying, hey, you guys get a chance. You can come to the party. Same invitation. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. So so the real question to us today is this. What's keeping you from the kingdom? What's keeping you from the feast? God's given you the invitation. Handwritten. Delivered to you by the Holy Spirit. Right there it is. You're invited. Will you accept? You, You may be here this morning. You've not accepted that invitation. You've never invited Jesus into your heart. You can do that this morning through simple faith. Just come and pray a simple prayer. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I invite Jesus into my heart. And He will change your life. You can do that today. Your life can be changed. You can have heaven as your home. second part of this invitation is for the rest of us who are believers. We are the connection between a gracious host and a lost world. There is only one way... Your lost family members and friends are going to make it to heaven.' It's if you tell them. You're the connection. You've got to open your mouth, you've got to speak the truth. So I want you to think right now, who is it that God wants you to tell him about? Who is it that God wants you to speak to and invite them to the kingdom feast? You see the person? I want you to come and pray for that person and ask God to give you an opportunity to open your mouth and simply invite them. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless...